For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. HubSpot has been a huge supporter of the show. They have so many tools that can help your business. The one that I want to just mention today, so you go check it out, is their new AI chatbot. It's called Campaign Assistant. HubSpot's Campaign Assistant is a game changer for creating marketing campaigns at scale. It turns your key selling points into a cohesive pitch, which helps you deliver knockout emails, ads, and landing pages in minutes. Just choose your content type, input a few keywords, key points, pick a tone like friendly or witty, and let the AI robots handle the rest. You can copy and paste the content to whatever channel you'd like, or even convert it directly into publishable campaigns without leaving your HubSpot interface. So let Campaign Assistant take care of the campaigns so you can get back to growing your business. Work smarter, not harder at HubSpot.com slash campaign dash assistant. So for me, because we're talking about um, pregnancy and work, one of my most powerful moments was actually when I was pregnant with my second son and I just given a presentation, I was like 37 weeks plus, And I just given a presentation to a group of interns and I probably was terrifying them <laughs> that I was going to go into labor. But in fact, I knew I had risk, risk condition and I was about to be induced like the next day. And I remember saying to this group of, you know, young uh, new team members and they were looking up at me and I was like presenting on um, uh, communication skills and with like a lot of enthusiasm. And I said, I'm so proud that this is the last thing I'm going to do before I have my son. And for me, and I remember the moment that I was driving home. So I lived in New York City and I was coming from the office and I took a taxi home uh, up to the Upper West Side. And I remember that moment typing it into my phone to write a note to my second son. So with the first one, I'd written a journal of reflection. The second one, I'm like literally making a memo. But it was that I felt so powerful. And it was like a very banal, easy, low risk, high, you know, not a high stakes presentation. Mm. It was this special moment. But it was something that I, I felt um, representative of potential and also saw reflected back in this like acceptance and eagerness. And for me, you know, it was a very big difference from when the first time I was pregnant. And that's where I recognized, you know, I've been thinking about the topic a lot, but I really recognize the powerful intersection of work and pregnancy and life moments as something that we, we often frame it as dire. But in fact, it also has these super high highs mm -hmm. that are not just the personal highs, but in fact can actually have work moments too. And that the rest of it is just so normal. And I feel like for me, you know, when you ask the question, I zoomed right back into that taxi and I still have the note <laughs> to my son. Um, and it was really, it was really special. And it was in something very mundane. Like I have some really big, cool career and life moments, but that was a really mundane thing that certainly has played into how I talk about the topic today. Do you think that, do you think that for most people, the, the concept of pregnancy in a work context, not in a life context, because obviously it's a beautiful thing and people get very excited and, and they should, but in a work context, is it stressful? You said it's dire, it's, it's not a positive, is it encroaching on a negative in a work context for the majority of people? I think it's interesting, the women that I spoke to, in anticipation of it often feels daunting because, you know, it's something that's very private. It's very personal. It is going to have an effect one way or another uh, on your career. And by the way, it's concurrent. I think often it's also framed as something that you have to like get through or that, you know, one thing stops before the other thing begins. But then completely contrary, so many women that I spoke to for the book talk about in hindsight, 
this really positive experience that they had. And in fact, if they have a great experience at work while they're pregnant, it actually helps to retain them. So instead of thinking about it as this point of attrition or, you know, there's these headlines, pregnancy is a career killer. I've really been focused on trying to create a balanced message so that when you're coming into it, you know, we all we all have these moments that if they're framed up as something that's really tough or to get through, you're going to think about it differently. Like, yes, you're going to think about it, you know, differently than when I asked college age women that maybe weren't yet at that point. It was some was negative, some was positive and some was just neutral. So much more than I think the women that were going through it current and definitely not the same perspective as those in hindsight. So I so think no, it's a really important message that, you know, it's what holds us back is often what we have in our head too. And some things are true. Like that's not caveating that this isn't, there aren't difficult things to get through, but there's also, um, there's also some great stuff and also just regular, regular day to day. So then I'm so curious as to when you interview all these women, you interview college age women, you interview career women, you've interviewed women that have gone gone through it, even though it's concurrent, it's not something you get over. I mean, th those people that are the result of being pregnant are with you for God willing, the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> but when you speak to all these different people, what what are the factors that influence perception of pregnancy? So one thing is that I actually interviewed also college age men or non-gender conforming individuals and also asked the question of men and women and non-gender conforming that um, with and without children. So I tried to include kind of everybody in the spectrum. And in fact, in the, the last study of kind of both genders, I asked the question, are parents an asset? And in fact, you know, men with children were the most likely to say yes. So it's very interesting to think about the perception of pregnancy and then also parenthood and separating them into kind of these different ways that we look at it. You know, today there's there's a motherhood penalty. So mothers earning less, um, a fatherhood bonus that we actually have. But in fact, for me, I really would like to reframe it overall. And, and that's the difference in the perception part that happens in advance. Um, and, you know, I think it's a really an opportunity for us to look at how we can benefit everybody. Um, by making this again a moment of of retention instead of attrition. So let's let's back up a little bit because you you're in this role right now. So you are um, you're, you're CHRO at L'Oreal, and obviously, if you're in human resources, there's a, a plethora of different things you have to manage in a day to day that are difficult human conversations. Right? This is this is the job. Um, but how did you get involved in human resources? Where were you in your career where you said, listen, for the rest of my life, I would like to help people navigate one of the most complex things they'll ever do, which is the workplace and all the different personalities and, and, and life struggles and work struggles, because it takes a special kind of person to, to excel in that role because it's tough, right? You're dealing with everybody's most inner you know, inner problems, inner struggles, you're dealing with money, family, career, success, all that stuff. It goes through CHRO. And it's not like L'Oreal's a small company either. You probably have lots of stuff you have to manage. So where did this, where did this passion come from? It's, it's funny. I had to answer the question a, a few weeks ago about what were my first jobs. So my first jobs were, I was a lifeguard, a babysitter, and I worked in a garden center. So there's something where like, I enjoy the care of others. I mean, I think some days my HR role is most definitely more lifeguard or more babysitter, but I, I, I like to enjoy the nurturing um, garden center version. I was the person who would like carry the bags of mulch to your car. <laughs> that, was, that was me. Um, but it's funny because every role that I've had since then, I get a tremendous amount of energy from being with people. And, you know, I actually was a, a chemist. I was a chemistry major undergrad. And I remember spending so much time in the labs and I got the most energy when they asked for volunteers to go into the schools to teach them um, to the local schools. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is where I need to be is regardless of the role that I'm in. Um, I want to do it with others and I want to do it with teams. So I've always been in actually our businesses. So last year I joined HR as our first people experience officer at L'Oreal and then became the CHRO and transitioning with our current CHRO who's retiring um, over the past six months. So it's very new to me, but I, I keep saying it, but it's, I have always been driven so much by the, the leader, being a leader or being a mentee or being a manager, thinking about the community that you build around you 
ultimately to serve the purpose of the business or the goals. So that part feels really inherent. And the second piece is that um, I, I really believe in the power where we are right now with leaders and HR as a function, that you're a partner. So I think, you know, we've gone through this interesting time where we had top-down leadership and then we had servant leadership. And now it really is a partnership. So you have employees, you have people managers, and you have HR, and they have to work together in that way too. And for me, it's, it's kind of cool coming in it from the business perspective and also as an employee who's worked across different parts of the business, how can you have that consistency and that approach and the elevation of the manager and the role of the manager? But on the other hand, HR provides a tremendous amount of expertise, including mm-hmm how they care for people and what they provide. And um, it is, it's a lot of details. It's very personal, but it's also that consistent approach that kind of makes sure you're creating safety, inclusion, you're elevating everyone in their role and you're helping them to be empowered to drive what's next for their career. And that's definitely feels part of my overall purpose. When you look at the HR function in a business and you look at what you've done, You've, yep. you know, you've built a brand, you've written a book, you've really championed and evangelized a cause that's very, very meaningful for you. Right. Uh, I don't see a lot of HR professionals going above and beyond this level, which is fine, but I'm sure there's right. also good HR and bad HR, almost like totally. run of the mill HR, um, just yep. hiring, maybe not putting as much energy into improving the company, but putting a lot of energy into bringing new people in. And that's where they stop and draw the line. Uh, So what is good HR? What is bad HR? I mean, you're operating at some of the highest levels right now. So just curious about your opinion on that. Sure. So I think, you know, good HR is a partner. So partner to there's, well, there's two really strong types of HR in my perspective. You have very strong expertise. So you need people that are experts in pensions and benefits and still need to be partners to you and to the businesses and to individuals, but they have really unique skill sets. And that's something for me that I knew coming in from my own perspective as a leader within the business, that that's not something I know. So even more so, I knew that I needed to have strong teammates and I do in those roles. You know, even we have a people services organization and they are the ones to call instead of the ones that maybe your HR business partners, where they're most directly working with individuals or working with the leaders of businesses. And that I understood a bit more because I had had that on the other side. So I was, I'm flipping my role there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that's really where um, individuals need to recognize the strength of HR. And the other part is one of the most important roles that HR can do is to facilitate the role of the leader or the manager and the employee. And that's how you create a really empowered approach. You know, it's not at the end of the day, just someone who you go to is going to be enforcing a policy or going to give you the feedback. It's always so much stronger if that feedback comes from your manager. And of course, if, you know, you're reviewing the policy and it's what do you need from HR in order to best um, power you. So I feel like that's, that's for me, one of the most important delineations instead of kind of being the the keeper of uh, particularly policies or reinforcement or bearer of bad news, you know, all the things that I get teased about at Thanksgiving when I, <laughs> when I was moving to HR. Yeah. But instead, it's like, how can HR be a, a key partner to unlock the business, bring their expertise, and in fact, create a better relationship with those who are actually working most closely together? I love that. I love that definition a lot. Um, okay, so I want to, so let's let's focus on, on the book that you just wrote and a lot of lessons okay. from that book. So that is really what we're here uh, to talk about today and we could talk about HR all day. Um, but I think that there's a much more pressing topic that you really know quite a bit about. So Carrie Strong, this is a book that you you wrote and I want to understand out of, you know, you mentioned the story in the car and that was a very strong, impactful story for you. Is that the main reason why you chose to focus on pregnancy in the workplace, this particular topic? You decided to do the research. What was uh, sort of the impetus for actually writing the book outside of just caring about this topic across potentially your own organization and not putting it out into the world. You know, it's, it's interesting that when you ask me the question, I jump to that story because often where I start with the book is completely on the other side of the spectrum. Um, more than 10 years ago, I, my, my husband ran the New York city Ironman race. And in fact, he finished the race 
Um, but then for the next two weeks, he was in critical condition. I, I almost lost my husband um, a few days before our first anniversary. So that's kind of a tough starting point of the book, which is really interesting. I, I only in writing it really understood that that moment had such a weight in, in this particular topic, because as I write in the book, I remember which direction I was looking in the hospital chair when I was told by the head of the hospital, it was a good thing I didn't have children. And wow. that I remember rocking me. It was like, I knew, you know, my life, like the things that you want, um, you know, I wanted to have a career, I wanted to have a family, but I didn't realize how paramount it was for us when I was in that moment where it truly felt like it might not happen. So then fast forwarding, you know, a year and a half later, because you have to make sure, you know, everything is okay health wise, we finally became pregnant and we were so excited. And I was like, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is so exciting. Um, you know, I was in a, a great place of work, which in fact, I had chosen to make a career move because I wanted to, I wanted to consider what other options I had. And I wanted to be in the new job and kind of have firm footing, which so many women go through this process before that next step. Um, of starting a family. And I went to the doctor's office and I thought I was going to have this great news. You know, I had passed kind of the first milestones of being pregnant and in the number of weeks before you get to have your first doctor's appointment. And I remember the look on her face just as, just as much as the direction I was facing with the, the previous story when she was like, this is, this is really not likely to make it. And so I had worn a dress. I remember we were like skipping into the appointment and then coming out. It was mm -hmm. a completely different feeling for the next several weeks at work. I remember, you know, not wanting to carry extra things into a conference room or, um, you know, walking across the street with a, my, a, my hand on a non-existent belly. And just the, the, the feeling that I had in this secret moment of kind of like so much hope, but also just hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the next moment was, you know, staring at my computer screen and I had a, a stabbing pain and kind of started what would happen the next 24 hours where I would, would suffer my first pregnancy loss. So that was a tipping point where I realized this, this intersection of work, it was literally a physical moment. Um, and for the next several years, you know, I did, I did a TEDx. We had a TEDx at L'Oreal, which was amazing called push about public pregnancy. I started teaching in FIT and communications. I had students and I had mentees and by the way, mentors that yeah. we often talk behind closed doors about this really important topic and not just, not just pregnancy loss, but all of the other pieces of it too. And life moments. And then during the pandemic, I saw these amazing women, particularly pregnant women, you know, in their PPE or, you know, linked arms um, against what was happening in our country. And I was, I thought, wow, how incredibly strong. So I decided in that moment, and my younger son was using our, our room that had a door and I was in the hallway on an ironing board with my laptop and my, my younger son was <laughs> home too. So it was on top of a box of diapers when I had Zooms, you know, to try to get yeah. the right angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember talking to a friend of mine. And I was like, you know, there's a collection of stories that I want to write. And I think it'd be really powerful to help women feel less alone in these really important moments. And this is what I'm thinking. And she was like, you know, you really need to do the research. You need to do some census validated information. And I, I really took that to heart because, you know, I'm a privileged woman who worked in unbelievable companies surrounded by supportive other fellow parents. Yeah. I had a paid leave. I had a partner that worked. So I had all of those things. And yet I felt that way. And I was also, you know, supporting other people that were feeling that way too. So I said, okay, that's what I need to do. So I decided to write the first study. And after that point, uncovered some really interesting facts that then required more. Also, you know, from what, what I said before, my background is also like the scientist part. Yeah, likes yeah, some facts. Yeah. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, is there a way to combine this really powerful kind of quantitative data that nobody had really looked at before? There's a lot of great information and stats about pregnancy and work, but not kind of the questions that I was asking. For example, one out of two women said that trying to conceive, not yet being pregnant, had an impact on work. And if you ask anybody that has kids, I'm sure that they would answer that, yes, trying to conceive has an impact on work, unless, of course, it happens right away, and then it's you're in the, the next phase. But um, for me, you know, having some tangible facts that surprised me uh, also encouraged me to make sure that I was, uh, was relevant um, and going to be helpful in a pragmatic way, just as much as trying to encourage people to rethink the moment. Um 
the, so two two things that I want to go into. I want to talk about some of those other stats and, and facts that you've uncovered, being being the researcher that you are, which is probably <laughs> the best possible person to write a book about a topic like this because you dive into the details and the data. But a, a more in, not a more interesting a, another interesting thing that you just mentioned is the the psychology of of this whole experience. You said you know you mentioned one word. You mentioned the word secret and. I think that's very interesting because if you have worked, and I'm pretty sure most people listening to this podcast work a significant amount of hours in a week, you spend more time with the people at work than sometimes you even do with your own family. You know, it, it's not great, but it, it's a reality for a lot of people. Um, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So... You're getting home, your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything, and your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy Video Lock. Fingerprint, tap, I'm inside. And honestly, I also feel way safer. It's got this awesome built-in camera, so whether it's a package delivery or late-night Uber order, I see exactly who's there right from my phone. There are no more mystery knocks. And the best part... This thing was such a breeze to set up. There's no wires. There's no drilling. Uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees. So if you are done fumbling with your keys, because I definitely am, search for Eufy Video Lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Your front door, your sanity. When you have something so personal that is a secret, I can only imagine how much that weighs on you. So let's actually unpack why do we have to keep these things a secret from our peers at work? Why is this something that we feel uncomfortable speaking about before a certain point? Well, you know, it's, it's one of these things that's, there's so many things that people feel um, that are hidden, they're invisible weights, you know, that you're, you're carrying on your shoulders every day when you show up at work. Mm -hmm. The interesting 
interesting thing about pregnancy is that this is something physical pregnancy and there's so many ways that people become parents but physical pregnancy there is a there is a um a literal point <laughs> where if, if and i will talk a little bit about the the impact on the pandemic but um where it's kind of revealed for you <laughs> True. so yeah. you know that's one is that you feel kind of a pressure that at some point whether you want to or not, it's going to be revealed. And and actually, that was one of my own personal experiences. I remember because after suffering loss, I was so afraid to share for two reasons. One, I had my own fear of getting my hopes up, you know, and I think like the idea of, of sharing this good news and then having to backtrack. And the second part, which is very rational, is also the fear of perception. You know, what will change? How will people view me? And by the way, whether or not it actually does happen. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that certainly both extremes still happen today in the workplace. I think that there's still this feeling of both the forcing function of physical pregnancy, but also the combination of what you tell yourself and how you feel comfortable. And then also the other side of perception. And, you know, one thing we were talking about earlier, but is the, the conversations that you may want to have, they don't have to be the same. And I think the hard thing is, and the great thing is actually that so many people now are more willing to share these stories. And personally, like, I, I mean, I needed to be 10, 10 years in order to be comfortable to be sharing this with you yeah. right now. Yeah. And some women, they may become pregnant and the next day they're ready to share. So one of the reasons why I also wrote the book by delineating the phases is because for some people, the, the third phase, which is called the hush, which is the secret time, it might be a day. You know, you might be at a place of work where you're super comfortable. And in fact, that might be how you are as well, where you're just more open to sharing. And you'd rather have if something, you know, doesn't happen uh, well, that you'd rather have people around you. And other people might not feel comfortable that way. So instead, I try in the book to give some framework that, you know, if it's you and that's what you want to say and you know who you need to tell and exactly what you're going to say and others that maybe use language more like, I'm going through something personal. I'll let you know if I need anything from mm-hmm. you versus I'm going through, you know, fertility treatments and I'm going to have these appointments in which they do X, Y, Z. And you need to, you know, both can have the same end goal of making you confident and feel supported and establish what you may need in that moment from whomever that is. Is it HR? Is it your boss? Is it a peer? Is it a, an ally at the workplace? Um, and they can be done in different ways. So, Let's dive into some of the data that you discovered while prepping uh, for writing this book. So what are what are some of the data points that you uncovered? What are some of the uh, the common misconceptions that people still believe? All, all of that, because I think that data data is very powerful. And I'm sure there's some positive that comes from data. I'm sure there's a lot of negative and unfortunate uh, realities that are still present in the, in, the, in the workforce in 2023 that also came from understanding data. Yeah, so it was important for me to have the the data to, to kind of validate some of the hypotheses and just to give some moments where you could be surprised. But I also was very thoughtful in the book to make sure that it didn't feel like even if numbers show that, then you might it might not be you. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, as I talked about the hush, that's the middle kind of phase. So within the first phase, I call it BTTC, so pre-pregnancy. I I did these studies with college age men and women and and non gender uh, conforming. And 92% of college-age women said that motherhood will have an impact on their career. And it's funny because some people I say that to jump to that it's negative. And it's just an acknowledgement. And Mm -hmm. in fact, for most of us, it probably should be somewhere near 100% because regardless if you decide to become a parent, you're making that decision. So there's some level of that. But that's a really high number. And that's me asking college-age women today. And the study is in 2021. So this is not old data. And the second question that I asked that was really powerful in in that particular phase is one out of two said they chose their major because of it. And in fact, men were almost as high. So again, not necessarily negative, not necessarily positive, but they were thinking about it. And the funny thing is afterwards, I did some subsequent focus groups with college-age women around the country because I was like, tell me more about this because I thought it was a pretty big number. I expected there to be some significance to it, but I didn't expect it to be so high. And they said, just no one ever asked me. And so actually this week I had a, a, an event where I was speaking to college age women and it was so cool to hear, you know, primarily Gen Z 
be so open and excited to talk about something so personal, um, including even the word pregnancy. They were like, we're so much more likely to talk about uh, an HPV vaccine than we are to talk about someday becoming a parent. And I was like, well, that's really powerful. And another uh, example, I was talking to them and they were like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I'm about to intern at a company. And I was so impressed that they said they offer egg freezing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, tell me more about that. And they were like, listen, I know based off of the type of relationship I want to have that I'm going to need egg freezing someday to start my family. And I thought, oh my gosh, not only did, did we jump, I think, some of the other women in the group to that that would be to prolong your fertility. This was making her feel safe and included to go to a company that she could then have a benefit that would allow her, regardless of the way that her path to pregnancy would happen, would be possible. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So that's in the, the pre-preconception phase. Then I mentioned in the trying to conceive, so the TTC, so trying to conceive, the one out of two saying that that had an impact on work. And I think this one is super, super important because, you know, there's some stories in the book and some women that I've talked to, you could be pregnant at work for five years and not have a baby. And that is that secrecy. That's the reality of all the things that you're navigating, the emotions, the intensity, and also the amount of drive and conviction that needs to happen concurrent to while you're working that maybe no one knows about. Um, so I found that an incredibly important time period to be aware of. Then you move into the hush, so the, the secret phase. And I, I hear, again, it was really a focus on those conversations that need to happen. Um, and often the, the concern about what you think uh, you may be judged. So a lot of that language versus in the push, I actually saw that women had an increase in confidence. So, okay. you know, depending on, and I broke it down by subsets on, on age, et cetera, but in general, there actually is a boost. So there's also something that's like, you know, you were just asking about the, the things that hold us back. It's, it's almost once it's out there too, and you're also through kind of the health uh, concerns or you may have new health concerns, but um, it's interesting because there was also these women that also felt this boost that had a positive impact on their career. And in fact, for those who felt more confident, they also increased their effort. So, and this is self-reflective information, but that's pretty interesting too. And then the last part, I call it anticipating the great return or not, because both are valid. And um, it was interesting, the, the point about an asset in the workplace that, you know, the, the men with children were more likely to say it than women without children. So I think it's important that we have the conversation where we include everyone and talk about this it's very normal thing that's that's likely to happen to 85% of women. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a big one. So I think those those data points for me are linchpins in allowing these stories to kind of form around them for the unique experiences that everyone has. Now this, so I think that you know what I'm actually if I'm if I'm looking at this data and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like when uh, when when a, a, a potential mother. Or, or somebody who's going to be starting to be or, or going to be pregnant gets that that validation, not validation, it's the wrong word, like almost the acceptance of the workplace, like mm -hmm. everything is a net positive after that. It seems like everything is positive because then all of a sudden uh, there's more effort involved in work. There's more retention of the employee across the family, not just the actual, not actual, just the person who's pregnant. So it seems like it's like a net positive once a business based on this data um, once a business actually accepts and sort of supports the woman. Is that correct? Yes, but they still have the, the concern of perception. And the reality okay. is that there's still a motherhood penalty in terms of uh, on the other side. So you're right. If they're supported in that moment, um, you know, 50% of women during the push had a more positive change in their opinion of their place of work during pregnancy. But yeah. that also means that 50% either were neutral or negative. So okay, exactly yeah, yeah. as you share, like kind of can go both ways. One out of two women felt comfortable transitioning for leave. So if you think about that and you, it can be, I can frame it positively, but also on the other side, you know, um, the same number around 48% of women said that their experience at work while pregnant had an impact on their decision to return. So I think the most important thing that the, the data told me was how do we support the places of work? How do we support the individual? How do we make them match? Um, and just to be aware that although, you know, pregnancy specifically, if you do the math on the, the number of 
months of your career, it's around like 2%, but it's a really profound impact because it's so personal. And in fact, so many people are working to provide. So you feel this you know, um, value of your self-worth, you feel this importance of responsibility with what you're caring for, but you also put in a lot of effort into your career and your job. So for, for the woman going through it, it's a really big deal, but also, you know, for, for places of work or teams, you know, that's, that's a very small amount of time relative to other people. So that's kind of why I think it's important that everyone's aware of these phases that someone could be going through and how all those little moments really add up to something that could be really positive or in fact can can have a um a negative effect for for the future and for when they return which is really important a quick break from this podcast to recommend another podcast that you have to check out it's called the product boss It's hosted by jacqueline and mina it's part of the hubspot podcast network if you have a physical product this podcast is hyper tailored to you. It's going to help you take your business to the next level. In a recent episode, for example, they spoke about the power of TikTok for product businesses and how to use it to drive sales. And as somebody who is a little new to TikTok, I really learned some great tips for creating content that actually converts viewers into customers. They have a workshop style format that makes it really easy to follow along to take your business to the next level. So if you sell physical products, subscribe to The Product Boss wherever you get your podcast to unlock social media, marketing, and business strategies that create your dream business and then your dream life. Well, I'm just thinking now, I'm just thinking about like sort of the different sizes of companies and, and the amount of support they, they can offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, companies should, mm-hmm. of course, try and offer support at any size, but I think that also some companies don't like, I mean, if, if it's pure, pure startup, it could be very difficult. And, and it could be very difficult for the founder CEO to offer the same level of support. For example, the example you just gave, like egg freezing is something that I don't think a, like a bootstrap startup is going to be offering. So I think that it's also important to figure out where, where you can work. And it's also important to figure out what kind of businesses can support, because we're not going to talk, we're not going to include in this conversation, businesses that are just bad businesses to work for businesses that have the resources, but don't support women who are pregnant. Cause I think that's I think there's probably still some of them out there, but I think that's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about where can you place yourself if you're not in, is this, is this a valid conversation? Like where, if you're not in the right organization that can support, does it make sense to look for organizations that can support better? It's, it's an important checkpoint. And actually something that I talk about in the, the BTTC phase okay. is three questions you can ask yourself. Um, and I've kind of two frameworks that I can share a little bit. One is, Three questions when you're thinking about making a move. What do I want for my life right now? And I think we used to say, okay, um, the other two questions are, what do I want to learn or what do I want to teach? And where do I get my energy? And Mm -hmm. I feel like what's interesting in these powerful life moments is that the order begins with what do I need for my life right now? And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we're finally at the point where we're comfortable to have that be a discussion and, um, you know, it's, it's a matching exercise. It's what type of company, what do I want for, where do I get my energy? What do I need for my life right now? And also what do I want to teach? What do I want to learn? And of course we, we want people to have, you know, long careers where they can grow in different organizations. But I think the recognition that people do move for all three reasons is very valid too. And what you need right now might be different than what you needed, you know, in your first job or 10 years later, mm-hmm. um, And I think that that's why I try to encourage people to think about it for your place of work for yourself and also for others. You know, when you're interviewing, you might want to ask a question that's like, what type of benefits do you offer for X, Y, Z? Just to understand what is offered for everyone that you work with. And and you shouldn't be scared of asking those questions either because the interview is two way. And I, and I, and I, I would, I, these are all assumptions because again, I'm not a woman, so I've never really gone through this, but I could, I could. Imagine that if it is such um, a, 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 like, obviously, it's a very stressful personal situation. The first thing that I would think about is, oh, I don't want to bring that up in an interview because what if they don't totally. hire me because I ask these questions? Absolutely. That would be, that would, I would be stressed as hell, right? So, a hundred percent. And that's why I try to, to frame it up as something to ask long before you need it, or yeah. even the way you can ask it is like, what type of benefits do you offer for? 
employees instead of saying, so what's your maternity policy? Yeah. And by the way, we, let's hope we can get to the point where people can ask that without fear of, you know, perception. But it's it is true that that people are afraid of doing that. Um, so I encourage it to ask the way that makes you feel comfortable. And of course, for, for organizations to be more transparent on what they offer too. So you don't have to be digging. And so that you're aware of what it is long before it's, you know, feeling very close, um, in, in your own, uh, in your own foresight. So I think that that's, it's a different way to think about the important questions, um, that people need to ask. Yeah. One, one other example is, uh, I remember a woman, um, Abby Donnell, she created work and mother. They actually provide an install lactation rooms in, you know, different buildings and offices, et cetera. And she said, instead of asking, do you have a mother's room or a place for you to breastfeed? Just ask where it is. And I thought mm, okay. that was pretty cool. Like yeah. that is, that's it. And that is so much more freeing because instead you're not saying like, is that okay? You're not asking permission for it. You're saying, where is it? It's the expectation because, yeah. that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And in an organization, if you hear that it should be, you know, one way or the other way, you're going to be like, oh, it's here or um, we don't have that, which is. It'll actually put, it'll actually, this is actually, this is an interesting conversation because again, you, you, you are CHRO, so you probably deal with this quite a bit. But when you're interviewing for an organization, like the interview has to be both ways and it should be the organization selling themselves to you as much as you are quote unquote selling yourself to the organization. And I think that the power dynamic is off. And I can only imagine in this situation, the power dynamic is even more off than if it's just asking what the salary is or how much vacation you get. It's a much more personal uh, and, and meaningful conversation. But I do believe that when you say it like that, it starts to put the organization on the defensive. It's like, and this is what, this is the other five people I've interview, interviewed with. This is the expectation, right? So where is, where is it for you? I actually think it's also very powerful. I want people yeah. at our organization that ask those questions, like yeah. how fantastic, like if you were interviewing and you said, so what type of parental support do you give? And do you have, do you have a lactation room? I'd be like, wow, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> yes. And thank you for asking. And I'm thrilled to share with you what our policy is, because that's also an opportunity for, for organizations to share what they offer or don't. And you know, that's okay too. I think that the bar is super high in terms of what um, people are looking for, which is which is good. But also, as you said, there's different sizes of organizations, um, different types of places of work. And also, you know, this conversation is all very much around non-primarily manual labor, you know, yeah. not hourly working, et cetera. And also, by the way, hybrid work or, or virtual work too. Now, let's talk <laughs> about, so so there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive, a lot of organizations that make an effort um, but obviously, you know, if you, if you look at data, I'm sure there's a lot of organizations that, that do not make an effort or assume some sort of bias when somebody is, is trying to get pregnant, is pregnant. Um, so what are some realities that somebody in a workforce where there is bias against being pregnant, they feel like they're going to be laid off or maybe, you know, they, they are laid off, whatever. It's, it's horrible. There's still, this there still happens. Um, my suggestion is to always, you know, that's a very, uh, that's a very <laughs> clear sign that you should go find a better company, but that's not always the case. Sometimes people don't know the company they're working at is biased towards pregnant women. So say you're thinking about getting pregnant, you're thinking about having a family. What should you be looking for? What is a red flag in an organization where you should be like, okay, listen, this is this is not what the norm is. Maybe it's time to start looking before um, I have a have a child or try and have a child. Ask the the parents or leaders or people that you admire or that you observe in the organization their own experience. See how they talk about it. You know, I think that can be a great starting point where, you know, in the way that you feel comfortable, you're you're understanding the reality of maybe what you you could foresee. And you see if it's something that's um, generalized or if it's a specific to an individual. And I think that is a really important step that can help uh, give kind of the. I would say it's the actions and the policies versus the reality and if those are matching too. So that's one thing certainly is important. It was important for me um, to look to those people and see, 
uh, and see their experiences, which obviously can be very different than yours, but you get a pretty good sense of how someone talks about that. Um, and if, you know, there's going to be the impact of work, but also the individual um, and what they're bringing to that, their own experience is bringing mm -hmm. to that. Too. So I think that's one way to, to approach it. I, I think that's smart because I think that, you know, the, the, the other way would be to challenge or try and change the perception of the employer. But I think that for a lot of people, I wouldn't even recommend that to be quite honest. I, I don't think that's a, that's a battle that you really want to take on as an individual, um, for that particular organization. I think that there's and no, no yeah. rights, you know, yeah. you also have to be aware of your protections and yeah. your rights, but I, I do often find, and, um, that's very, very important, uh, including by the way, for breastfeeding, et cetera, and what comes after. But, um, often I have found that when women are asking questions and, uh, trying to know details of their protections, you know, maybe start first also with um, the individuals in the organization. And I'm sure that many things will be uncovered first, or there's a reason why you're feeling that way too. Um, and, and you might be surprised, but um, you know, women need to, they need to feel safe mm -hmm. regardless of that. Uh, it still can be very scary and there's an identity shift that happens too. Yeah. So it's not even just about a, a fear of perception of the workplace but for so many of us, it was also about ourselves. You know, I, I feel, I remember staring in my closet when I was returning to work after having my second son. And I was like, who am I? Like, what do I do? <laughs> what does she wear? Where does she go? How does she show up? Like, I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. That was really tough. And then you, you take some time and take some adjustment post baby because then you're you're a, a mother of a newborn and then you're a mother of a toddler. Mm -hmm. And then now I have these two you know, young children and I'm still evolving in, in who I am I, including at work. And by the way, I, there's also some people and I felt this way after my first child, which is I'm exactly the same. And you know, now I, I appreciate that it's not true, but, um, but that's another thing to keep in mind is that yes, perception of an organization and things that hold you back and fear from a physical standpoint, but also you are going through some kind of shift in terms of, um, what this means for you. Were there any, were there any strategies that, that you took on or, or that have really like helped you navigate this whole process personally that you think would be helpful for people to, to try out? 
So one thing that's helpful, and it's it's actually helpful regardless of pregnancy, but because we're talking a lot about um, making moves or you know observing the type of organization you're in and the, the three questions you can ask yourself, I think they're helpful. But one other thing that might be helpful for the listeners is I often use a traffic light with people. So, and this works really well, you know, with junior employees, but I will tell you for me, myself, everyone recognizes the feeling of being stuck, mm-hmm. you know, the stuck feeling. And so I'm trying to give a framework to that. So if you're, if you're green and you're in the zone, you know, you're, you're moving through projects, you feel challenged, you have a good team. Um, you feel like you're learning, you feel like you're teaching all of the things are, are happening. So it's like, okay, cool. I'm in this green zone. And with the intersection of pregnancy, there could be a fear that that's going to go away. So what I try to tell people is recognize what things are giving you the green you know, is it the the work that you're doing? Is it the job? Is it the environment? Is it the people that you're with? Because many of those things are going to stay the same, or you want to recognize if you're going to make a move or if you um, just want to keep hold of them, what they are. So if you're in the, if you're in the green, like recognize that and feel that way and what's giving you that. Then there's the yellow lights. Okay. So now you're at the yellow light and there's something, there's something that's like, holding you back and you're feeling stuck. Like, do you go through the light? Do you not? Um, but push a forcing function of saying, am I green? Am I yellow? Or am I red and yellow for pregnancy? I often tell people that's where it starts to kind of like the lights go on. It's like, okay, something's bothering me. Maybe your, maybe your work-life balance is off. Maybe your, um, the projects you're working on isn't really interesting, but the people are, or it's the environment or something needs to shift because there's something that if the yellow feeling keeps coming up, you, it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, which is if you're at this red light, that's like red flag, because that also can have an impact on your health, your mental health, your physical health. But that means something has to change. And you, you get more and more of those yellow lights, you start heading towards the red light or the red light is the signal where it's like, you've got it, something's got to go. And so I often find that that can be very helpful in these moments to identify. And by the way, it might not be work. It might be other things that are going on in your life. And work might be the one thing that's giving you all the green lights and making you feel good. But you have to recognize what is it that's causing me in a good way or a bad way to be in the green, in the yellow, or having these red moments that especially at these big, powerful intersections like pregnancy and work, you want to make sure you're not staying there very long at a stop sign. And one other concept that you speak about quite often, <laughs> it's work-life fluidity. Uh, and how does this play into work, life, pregnancy, major life intersections? So work-life balance is a term that so many people use. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I live my life somewhere between green juice and donuts. So I like balance. <laughs> I like Love to that. run in new balances, <laughs> big runner. But I really don't like this term very much personally because it puts so it gives so much credit to to work. And if you imagine a seesaw and you have work on one side and life on the other side, it's it's not very exciting. You're trying to strive for something that's really not attainable. Well, there's so you know, many events in life. It's not fair yes. to say that it and, equally and balances train, at work. Yes, and we train our bodies to be to have balance. Like standing on one foot is uncomfortable. What's amazing is when you're walking, you're actually unbalanced. I remember seeing something one time that was like a series of unbalanced uh, movements is momentum. I was like, okay, this is very helpful. But for me, the idea of a more fluid approach, which I called work-life fluidity, sometimes people talk about work-life integration or work-life harmony, which are helpful also. But for me, I actually prefer fluidity because it means that I'm there's movement. And sometimes I mean, might be even for, for a day, I might go through like full focus in work or slide to focusing on mom or slide to focusing on the book, or it might be a whole week. Like this week, I completely honest, I have been really focused on the book. I've had some important moments where I needed to shift back into work, you know, even though I took a couple of days off, but then there's other moments like, you know, yesterday morning where I was full hundred percent on mom. And so instead of trying to strive all the time for balance, that is not going to happen, that fluid approach instead for me gives permission that you're you're trying to actually have more focus and that's where ultimately you find your balance and for for you i think it's just recognizing if something's pushed all the way to one side all the time that's when you don't feel the the balance that's happening but instead that fluidity can give some permission um, to allow you to to be where you are and the one thing i often share with the fluid approach is 
we all have like so much FOMO and (laughs) this fear of missing out on things. It goes so much with parents, like guilt, like constant guilt. I'm not doing enough at work. I'm not doing enough with my family. I'm not doing anything personal. I'm not taking care of myself. And it's like all of this FOMO, but instead the fluidity kind of allows you to have a little bit more Como. I I was in a training one time. What is Como? I've never heard Como. (laughs) So I've told, I've told this, this story to several people and I always send this, this, this trainer, this thing, Como is certainty of missing out. Oh my goodness. So I love instead it. Instead of FOMO, where I'm like, I am always feeling like I'm dropping the ball. Como is, I am most certainly not right now at my kids, you know, sports lesson that's this afternoon. I'm yeah. not. So instead of feeling guilt about that, you can feel guilt for like a second, but then just have some certainty in it. Otherwise you're carrying around constant FOMO and not actually being present. And I think if, if the past three years taught us anything, it's like, we have to try to be as present as we can. But that, those two ideas honestly have set me free so much, at least from the guilt. And I also feel like it's a more modern and human way to think about the, the way we identify ourselves. Like, you know, I, I am, I feel incredibly responsible for our employees and my job. And I, I really like, I can have that level um, that I know that I need to do to best support the organization in my role. But I also really do believe that, you know, my, my, my motherhood Mm -hmm. teaching um, the work on the book, it's so fueling to me. And it's instead, I kind of remove some of those labels and I really try to just See, all of those things are ultimately what make me who I am, and and then I'm ultimately better for all of those things. Um, but I feel like it's it's a new way for us to really think about um, setting ourselves free. You know, you got so so there's a there's a huge onus on companies to enable this and and to create again the the psychologically safe environment for people yes. to be present in other areas of their life. And this pregnancy is one thing that pregnancy is one of a billion different things that. People are trying to do concurrently with work, which has, you know, work is, it takes so much energy. It like, it's, it, it, if, if enabled, you could not be present for your family, not be present for your own pregnancy, not be present for your parents, not be pregnant, present for your spouse, because work just weighs, work always weighs on you, right? So this is very important because this whole Como being present thing, it allows you to enjoy all these major life milestones, like, how many people, you know, they, they don't pay attention to anything until there's like a, you know, a heart attack or something like that. And then they realize that all they care about is work. It happens all the time. And, and you could be pregnant with a child and you could, you could have a wonderful birth and the, and the company could support you. But if, you know, you're on maternity leave and people are still dinging your inbox and, and, you know, the, the, the office is counting down the days till you get back because the whole world's exploding and blowing up without you, you, you can't enjoy that life milestone. Like you really can't because there's a huge psychological weight. So I think businesses have to enable people to do their own thing, live their own life and know that they're going to come back and help the organization, but know that the organization is not their life. You know, so I, you totally get it, which I just love it. Scott. it's awesome. Um, the, the first thing that you talk about with psychological safety and energy, I feel like, you know, first people have to feel safe and they have to feel included. And then you can have, um, you know, then you can have more, uh, dynamic dialogues. If you're in that space, you can have innovation, but there's mm-hmm. a baseline because otherwise what I love, what you said is about energy. It takes a tremendous amount of energy if you feel that you can't show up as you, who you are, you know, you're, you're covering for all of these other dimensions of your identity, including, you know, pregnancy um, or being a parent. And that's already taking so much energy. I would so much rather have people use that energy for their work and their life than, you know, not feeling safe. But um, with that, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility on organizations and on individuals, on leaders to create, safety to create inclusion and to allow for that that dialogue to happen but i totally agree with that and i i feel like also you recognize the power of when that energy is going where it shouldn't be going um so this is this, this is a, I, I love this and i think this is sort of like the 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 call out of leaders that okay so if you're if you're a leader and you're thinking well you know what we don't want to invest in 
in, in rooms where women can feed their babies, for example. Um, and now, now we have a woman who's working in our organization and she just had a child and, or, or, or it's not, not, I guess not feed their babies because you wouldn't take your baby into work. But what was the word you used? Lact lactation room? Is that the yeah, word? or it can be mother's room or mother's wellness room. spaces. There's a lot of different. But the point ways. is, see, now you have this woman who's living living in the organization, working there every day, and and her mind is always on how do I how do I solve for this because my work isn't solving for it for me, right? And and constant distraction, constant stress, and there is like a very real dollar value attached to that distraction and that stress that you right. weren't thinking about when you chose not to invest in this room or this space that would have cost you like a couple contractors and, you know, a couple hours of labor to <laughs> finish off this room the right way. But instead of doing that, you thought it's an unnecessary expense. It wasn't approved, but that person's job multiplied across thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of women across the organization the cost is going to be detrimental to the organization, but they won't see that they're losing money. The, product, the productivity will just decrease to a certain percentile and they won't and understand it. The cost of recruiting them too, because, yeah. you know, first of all, regardless if they actually use the space, the space existing is actually providing that psychological safety and that it's okay and the freedom and the importance. And the second part is, you know, if you lose them in that moment or if you retain them, you also have to hire another person. Which is wildly so expensive, the, insanely the expensive. It's, yeah, it's huge, in fact. So yeah, it's worth it. And also, by the way, it's it's a requirement for, for many places too. So it's something simple, um, but it can be so incredibly important. And if you go to the baseline of fundamental providing, you know, hierarchy of needs, yeah. you're providing, you know, you're providing food and nourishment and, um, and also obviously need the, the privacy and comfort in order to do that too. Yeah. No, that's very, very smart. And, and I, and I, I hope businesses understand, I hope businesses understand that the argument for investing in these resources, if they're not legally required, um, is, is, is a sunk cost to the business because it's not, it, it's definitely not. And the, the ability to work anywhere is only increasing and people will not choose your organization. They will, they don't have to anymore. It's very easy. They don't have to at all. So. Get your shit together. Anyways, um, any last any last thoughts, any last bits of wisdom or advice that you want to give over to the audience? Things that I didn't ask you that you wanted to speak about? Floor is yours. You know, I, I really enjoyed this conversation, Scott. And I think what's really powerful is that, you know, one thing that I always say is that you can do it all, not at the same time and not alone. And the, <laughs> yeah. you can do it all. It doesn't mean you have to, and your all is not necessarily my all. And I, I always try to say that to people because they're like, how does she do all of these things? I get a tremendous amount of joy and energy giving from these different dimensions, but what is your all and not feeling held back by that is so powerful. The second part is not at the same time. So there's going to be seasons for all of us where we're going to downshift and upshift in different parts of our lives. And that's okay too. And that doesn't mean that you're like counted out. Um, we, we need to make sure that, that we're demonstrating all of the different things that can happen in life. And this is just one very profound and uh, very common example yet being extraordinary. And the last part, which has really touched me in this conversation is the not alone, because mm -hmm. even the way you're asking the questions, is is so empowering to me that we are having this conversation in a space that it hasn't happened before. Mm -hmm. So I'm just so grateful because the more people hear you and I discussing this um, with enthusiasm and transparency, that's how we flip the script. That's how we do it. And by the way, it's in the construct of leadership and talking about success. Like yeah. that's pretty incredible. Instead of talking about it as this like horrible thing. Um, so I just want to thank you for that. It's really been a pleasure to to talk about it with you. And thank you. And thank you for helping to create this conversation um, in such a powerful space. No, pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Um, and and I appreciate the conversation because, you know, the second the second I discovered this this book and, and what you were working on, it was it was an immediate like, yes, let's let's, you know, let's create some content around this because it's it's actually wild to me that there isn't more content around this particular topic. So you look at all the different, even like HR topics, you look at uh, underrepresented groups and marginalized groups and whatnot. Um, 
which is very important, but it's not, it's not speaking about a condition that literally is, is, is agnostic of any group, any, you know, everyone gets affected by this. Uh, you actually had a really funny, <laughs> some of those groups even more, you know, yeah. and that's, you had a funny quote though. Tell, tell, tell your, tell your, uh, your little quote that you used to open when you speak about this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's funny because the word pregnancy can, I think can be a turnoff for people. Um, when I'm like, let's talk about pregnancy and work. And they're like, can we talk about leadership? And I, so I often begin talks with, um, how many of you, <laughs> and I ask people to raise their hand. So raise your hand if you came from a pregnant person. <laughs> And, you know, everybody raises their hand. By the way, it's the same number of people that I later say, like, how many of you know what FOMO is? And it's, yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty powerful because, you know, regardless if this is something that you will experience personally, um, you, you will work with a pregnant person and mm -hmm. you came from a pregnant person. So I feel like it's a topic that's table stakes. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree with you. I even found in my own personal experience that the resource didn't exist specifically with work. There are so many awesome pregnancy resources. But, you know, the one question everybody Googles is how to tell my boss I'm pregnant. But there's so much more than that. So I thought, how can I pull it all together in one single resource that can fit into all of these other amazing ones that can focus on health and can focus on return to work um, and can focus on fertility? There's a lot of other really powerful content. But I, I felt the need to fill the gap specifically with regards to work and the pre part, which, you know, it's. It's a, it's a little bold move, but I will tell you, college-age men and women at Gen Z, they, they want to talk about it. They're totally on board. They're thinking about work and life in such a, a different way um, than we did, and I think it's incredibly inspiring. I love this. Um, where can people uh, go get the book? Where can people connect with you? Where, where do you want to send people? All the links, all the, all the yes. socials, all that. So you can follow along on Instagram on Carrie Strong Pregnancy. You can visit the CarrieStrongProject.com, which has lots of places where you can buy the book or you can go to your favorite bookseller. Um, and, and please, you know, the, the most important thing is also the reviews. So I hope you enjoy the book. Um, and certainly I want to make sure that people are discovering it and the personal resonance that they have with it. But I'm really excited about this. I hope that it can help, you know, just a few individuals, especially that are going through something that can feel like a, a silent and brave roller coaster. Um, and so, you know, please uh, encourage you, carry strong and empowered approach to navigating pregnancy and work. Okay, perfect. Do you want to drop your own socials or do you just want to send people to the to the book for now? I want to send them to the book because okay. I feel like okay. I want to create the conversation there. All right. I got you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> you, can, you can follow me on LinkedIn um, as well. But okay. yeah, I want, to, I want to create that. That sounds good. Last question I ask everyone. Um, at this point in your life, you've had incredible career success, family success. Um, what does success mean to you? So, you know, I, I, I talked a little bit earlier about... Um, about purpose and my purpose really has been focused, especially in the past several years on unconstrained potential. So how can I help to even work like unconstrained potential and scale a business or, you know, make, make sure that my sons feel like they can be the best version of themselves or as a professor, like, I don't want to create robots and communicators, but how do I help people feel the best so that they can be, you know, their best version of themselves. And certainly with the book, I want to unconstrain the potential of women of recognizing what we all carry, but that you can do it and you can, you can in fact um, come out even stronger on the other side. But now for me, success is when I help to create tailwinds. Like when I am not just unconstraining, but in fact are helping to fuel something bigger, um, fueling innovation, uh, but watching other success. And I, I've kind of always felt that way, even full circle to your question about my jobs. Yeah. But that is where I get the most tremendous amount of joy. And I've, I feel incredibly blessed that I've had so much personal success and certainly it hasn't come without tough stuff and uh, some tenacity, but it's truly because of others. So if I can do that, then that's what success looks like for me. Yeah.